Welcome to Disciple Life, the Bible in Everyday Life, a podcast that aims to provide listeners with insights on how to live life as a disciple of Christ. This show tackles various topics such as how to grow in faith, deepen relationships with God and others, and serve others in a Christ-like manner. Well, welcome to another installment of the Disciple Life, the Bible in Everyday Life. And here sitting next to me, I have the senior pastor of First Baptist Divine, a.k.a. Iron Dan, a.k.a. one of the best guys did, ever. Did you uh, did you almost forget the name of our podcast? No, I just have a couple of things going through my mind. Oh. And it's like, okay, so if, if, in case you want to watch him, and this is just a, a shout out because he does great stuff for marriage uh, counseling and married couples and also people who are looking to get married. Mark Gungor has a seminar that he's known for and it's very, it's already, it's been out there a while, let's say that. Hmm. Uh, and it's called um, Laughing Your Way to a Better Marriage. And so in it he talks about the difference between um, men's brains, women's brains, and my nothing box almost over, overcame me. So. Oh. I was just kind of throwing a blank. But anyway, all that to say, welcome back to another installment. Today we have the privilege of discussing what was taught on the Lord's Day yesterday. Uh, and we are looking into a text where we see a day in the life of the king. Mm -hmm. And so there are three topics. But before we get to those three topics that I would like for us to just kind of break apart. What's good? How are you? I'm doing okay. And you were kind of, you were leading up before we get to, I'm like, wait, we didn't talk about doing anything beforehand, so. <laughs> and there's something for after, too. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, what he does this to me. He turn, He's like, this is what we're going to talk about today. I'm like, cool. And then he turns the camera on, and he's like, and before we talk about it, and after we talk, and I'm like, that could have primed me, dude. No, it's it's always good to just get this. By the way, you, you can do the same thing. Yeah, but I, oh, anyway. Anyway, okay. so you're doing well? I'm well. Good. I'm, I'm I'm like apprehensive right now because I'm not sure what you're going to spring on me. Um, you, nothing you cannot handle. You have a great confidence in me. I, I do. Appreciate that. I do. Uh, uh, so, but you're doing well. Family's yeah. well. That's good. And 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 yesterday, people were really enjoying the Mother's Day banner that they got to take pictures with. And uh, by the way, happy Mother's Day to those that celebrated that yesterday. And thank you for being faithful to your families as you raised generations and blessed are you if you have grandchildren now so that you can continue to relish on that yep so pastor dan we yesterday you brought us into three distinct areas that we see coming out of jesus as he moves his uh, ministry center if you will to capernaum and we see him doing great things not for all people but when he does these things uh, it's really earth-shattering in a good way. It, it yeah. breaks the mold. And you brought us into three distinct areas, but the first one that we want to address is the first uh, point, which is his superiority. Well, is that the first That's, one you want to talk about? Or yes. the first one? Okay. Um, what makes Jesus superior in light of everything else? Because of who Jesus is. Um, I know it sounds like a Bible school Sunday school yeah, question and answer. I'm, I'm like not sure what you're looking like because of who he is. Um, Jesus is God, right? He's God incarnate, um, and so if he is superior. He is first and foremost in everything. Um, so 
Jesus is uh, the the smartest man who has ever lived. Um, he is the fastest who has ever run. Um, he is the strongest of anyone who has ever lifted something. Um, he, he is the, the greatest, the best, the first, uh, and the last. And um, he is superior um, over all things because all things have been created by him and for him and through him. Um, and so there, Jesus is just superior to everyone and everything. Okay, so just is he just is right? Boy, talk about an, an ontological argument. Yeah. Um, how that's a ten-letter word. It simply means the origin of all things and the sustaining of all things. Anyway, so how do we begin to apply the Christian life as believers, disciple makers? Uh, my, my my encouragement to the audience and my prayer is that as church members, how do we begin to live out the super the superiority of Christ in in our lives as disciples. Well, um, thinking less of ourselves—that's <laughs> that's the first step. Um, so as to say that if Jesus truly is superior, then you live in submission to Him. Um, not, you know, there's. I'm thinking of some of the old. And these are these are not things that are necessarily new to all who might be listening, but I. Um, because I know that these have been very minor jokes in the course of mess uh, sermons or uh, teaching lessons, um, but there used to be bumper stickers on cars that would be things like, um, you know, Jesus is my co-pilot um, and things like that. Um, I am second, which I, we addressed like two or three weeks ago. Yeah. So um, the idea that that Jesus is just an appendage to your existence that if if we have to abandon that, that, mm. that mindset. It's, we, we live not with an appendage, but with a dependence upon Him. Um, and so we, we submit ourselves to Him. And so uh, having a proper understanding of who we are in relationship to this superior being uh, who, who is presented to us in the Scriptures as Jesus, that's the first step. And the very close second step is if we're if we have surrendered, if we have submitted ourselves to Him, then we need to be obedient to Him. Mm. Um, and His Word is is very clear on the, the nature of our relationship um, to Him as our King and as our Redeemer um, and as our Savior and as our Lord, that there's the necessity for us to be obedient and there's the necessity for us to honor Him um, as our patron, um, that this person who has done something on our behalf. Um, that this is, uh, we're not in Luke right now, uh, where I'm, I'm thinking right now of the message yesterday is in Luke. My thoughts right now are coming from uh, part of what the author of Hebrews is writing in that epistle. Um, that sometimes there are some well-meaning Christians who take some verses and stretch them beyond their, their context to say, well, this is a clear sign that people can lose their salvation if you take some of these verses. Um, what they are is warnings to say that if you believe that, that, that Christ has saved you, that Christ has redeemed you, there's an expectation that you honor Him, that you remain obedient to Him. Um, it's not to say that you lose it, but you can uh, go through this where your actions would make it not appear as though you're actually living the life that you claim he's given to you. Um, so 
Anyway, answering your question, it's surrender, submission, obedience. Those are the things that we, we at least begin to, to see in the life of a Christian. Okay. Um, I, th- I, I think that in, in light of what you're sharing in the, ser- in the sermon, which I really, I really enjoyed, and I think I heard more amens, and, and some people, I also heard people either shuffling or just kind of slightly groaning with some of the points, and that's, and that's totally fine in, in a worship setting. Um, I wonder if, if today, to, to go back to a conversation we've had, and this is not, uh, not in the private sense, but I wonder if this is going hand in hand with the idea that we need to make Christianity hard again. Yeah. Because it's very easy to have a heaven a heavenly concierge concierge who can check on you and you can just lift up a holy offering to and he will come knock on your door and give you the desires of your heart, whether they're righteous, unrighteous, lustful or all sorts of different variations. Just because that's the way that it can be perceived. You know, there's going to be a few different perspectives of people who are potentially listening right now. Um, and I'm thinking specifically to a person who may be um, very casual in terms of matters of faith. Um, and what I, how I would describe that person would be somebody who says, I believe in God. Um, I love God, uh, and yet there's not a um, an example of any sort of actual relationship with God that would see them um, loving others uh, as Christ has commanded us, that would see us gathering with other believers uh, for the edification of the body as is commanded in Scripture. Um, and so you'd find somebody who says, I love God. Um, um, I know God, or I believe in God, and I don't go to church. Um, I don't participate in anything. Um, and at the end of life, man, they're trying to claim all of the promises of God, yet there was not any of the things that I just mentioned a few minutes ago. Mm. Um, and it's, it's interesting to me how many people come with that perspective, Um, that there's a a sense of easy believism that all I need to do is pray, um, invite Jesus into my heart, um, which you won't find an explicit um, reference to inviting Jesus into your heart in the Bible, by the way, Mm. Um, and that there's actually no no cost um, to the quote-unquote believer um, in living this Christian life. Um, now, don't hear me wrong. Um, if we were looked in Ephesians chapter 2, it's very clear that it says that by grace through faith you are saved. Um, and it is a free gift to anyone who would call upon the name of Jesus. Salvation is free. Um because what because the superior one has gone to and through a cross on your behalf, um, and he has atoned for your sin, the sins you've committed and the sins you've yet to commit. Um, and that being said, this easy believism that I'm speaking about right now would have you claim that 
but actually not have any subsequent cost in relationship to living your Christian, supposed Christian mm. life out for the remainder of your days. Um, there, there's also equally um, verses in the Bible that Jesus himself is saying that, it, you know, if you follow me, you will suffer like me. If you follow me, you will be persecuted like me. Um, there, there is sacrifice expected within the life of the Christian. There mm. is great um, turmoil expected within the life of the Christian. And I'm not, I'm not saying that um, how persecution or sacrifice or suffering looks for one disciple of Jesus will look uniformly for every disciple of Jesus, but if there is no cost, using a very general term, mm. to living the Christian life out, then very lovingly, I've got to ask, are you living a life for Christ that has been given to you by Christ, or are you claiming something that you hope will be there at the end of your days, that honestly may not be. That that, that makes me you know, wow. That honestly makes me you know concerned for many folks because I've been in those settings where speaking in retrospect about a life, it's said, oh he he he, he believed in God, she believed in God, and then I hope what? that I hope that's true. Sure. I think this then opens the pathway to going to the priority of Christ, the King's priority in all of this, because you're already addressing it. I think we can flesh that out a yeah. little more. Yeah, so at the tail end of the passage that was preached yesterday, which was Luke chapter 4, uh, verses 31 through 44, um, the last two or three verses, um, you know, Jesus has gone to Capernaum, um, where we're in this passage now where Jesus is led of the Spirit and he begins to um, to build his ministry base in this town that's not actually his hometown. Right. Um, his hometown of Nazareth did not like what he was preaching, and they ran him off. Um, they tried to run him off a cliff. Um, couldn't do that, and so they ran him out of town, so to say. So he's building up his base camp, and he starts preaching this message, and he starts healing um, and he starts doing all of these wonderful things, all the wonderful things that God had been saying the Messiah will do when he came. Mm. And they say, man, this is great. I want to keep it for myself. I want to keep it right here for me. And Jesus says, no, I, that's not my priority. Um, my priority is not, and specifically the healing of a physical sickness that, that they're trying to, to hang on to. It's like, no, there's so many more sick here, who, the, the lame, the blind, the deaf, whatever, who, who need to be healed. And he said, you know, I, I can and I do heal these things, but I didn't come just for this. I came to proclaim good news to the poor. Um, I came to heal, if you will, the sin sick. Um, and it's the gospel that, that heals that, so to say. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that says that a perfect sinless Savior went to and through a cross and died, taking upon himself the wrath of God so that whoever might come to him uh, in faith would be saved. Uh, that he would give, that he would declare in that heavenly courtroom, so to say, um, he would declare not the sinner guilty, but himself guilty. And therefore mm. saying that the sinner is actually innocent because he has given his innocence to them. Um, that's, that's 
that's what he's saying is the Messiah came to do this work and everybody needs to know about it. Right. Everybody needs to know about it. So Jesus' priority is to go to the other towns around uh, around Judea to, to proclaim this message. So the, the priority is the, the preaching of the gospel. The priority is uh, what he has already been foretold. How does this translate into the life of a church 2,000 years later? Because the Master has ascended to heaven, we have the Holy Spirit, and then we see, uh, even in the beginning of the church uh, in the book of Acts, where even for the early believers, this priority comes with a great cost. It also comes with great joy. So what does that look like 2,000 years later? And the, the, the listeners are going to think I'm salty, and I, I'm, I'm not feeling salty in any way right now. Um, how does this look? Um, this looks like we need to align our priorities with Jesus' priorities. Um, the, the priority of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, he has left that mission to the church. Right. Um, so our number one priority is to be a beacon, on a, a city on a hill, a, a, a lamp house, a whatever your um, euphemism is, um, that, that speaks to being very present um, in the frontier, so to say, not a fortress, um, that we're on the, the bleeding edge between this kingdom that has started to come but is not fully here in a lost and dying world not mm. that not that we're compromising uh, because he calls us to be a holy uh, and set apart people but there that but that we are moving out and advancing the kingdom as the the spirit of god leads us to to push and push and push as we take this gospel message wherever it is he seated us you know, we're we're in Divine, Texas. That's South Texas, right along I-35. What is so? This, you know, looking at how do we advance uh, the the gospel message in the streets of Divine in Medina County? What have you? How do we partner with other uh, entities to take the message of of Christ around the globe? That can that can happen from a church like this here. Um, how can we help Bible translators? Uh, uh, translate the, the the manuscripts into um, local dialects for, for people groups that are still unreached, don't have any access to even one letter of the New Testament right now. Um, how do we begin to do that? And the that that means if our priorities are aligned, that means that our churches don't look like country clubs, right? Where where we're doing things for ourselves now. Churches are the body of Christ, and so we know that the body needs to be maintained, the body needs to be disciplined, the body needs to be taken care of, we care for one another, and yet we have to be careful that we're not looking so much in the mirror at how well we're taking care of ourselves that we're not looking beyond the mirror to others, too. Um, and that's where I started with, I don't want to be heard as being salty, um, because at times churches can become country clubs. Sure. You know, we're going to do and serve our own, and I really don't care with what goes on outside. 
um, and we get locked into this is our church, and whether new people come or whether we go out and reach people, yeah, that's a negotiable thing. But what ha- what matters is is that our kids have the best, and um, we have all the the right potlucks and all all those types of things where we're just so inward focused that we've lost sight of the fact that Jesus's priority was to proclaim this message to right. the towns that had not heard it. Sure. Uh, I think hearing your, the elaboration from the point made during the sermon, I wonder if um, there hasn't been exactly what many great theologians have written against transpiring over the last several decades, for sure. For example, the ladies' group reading and probably or almost finishing by now, I, th- I would think, through Dietrich Bonhoeffer's uh, The Cost of Discipleship. The idea that if we take grace for granted, if we take grace as though it were cheap, it, it's it's not really grace, uh, and it's not really a, gi- a gift of God, but we've, we've constructed something totally opposite and other than what grace truly is for the church. Uh, meaning, we go from being a transformative power in the community to being just a place that people can pick and choose. Flavor, style, uh, length, you name it. Almost like they, 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 it's a Burger King style church. Um, have it your way. Um, and then as a result of that, we also see the results in the kind of Christianity that goes out from the U.S. to the world and even keeping it more localized, the, the impact or the lack thereof that disciples have, not, not because of their lack of sincerity, but because they are ill-equipped and ill-trained, mm-hmm. simply because we don't, have, we don't understand the superiority of Christ. We give lip service to it, but we don't live by it. And then we don't actually prioritize that, which is the main thing according to Christ. Right. And we we make our own shift in, in our communities rather than being a kingdom-focused congregation. And so I, I can see that. And by the way, not speaking necessarily of our church, no, but speaking of, uh, but speaking of the, the church universal, that the, those who are saved uh, by Christ, that we should fight the temptation to become like Laodicea or Ephesus, where we forget our first love. Yeah. Okay, so we've talked about the superiority of Christ. That led us right into the priority of Christ. But all of those things hinge on one key element, which I really appreciate the way that you illustrated that yesterday. is authority. The authority. And so, in the world today, we have a very unique perspective, primarily being taught in universities and even seminaries, that relativism and uh, particularly a real sense of we establish the meaning of a text, just purely speaking of, the, of, of training pastors. Well, how did that text speak to you? What did it make you feel? Um, that's not the authority that we see in Christ. Uh, and quite frankly, this is just my statement, not the statement of anyone else. I think that if Christ were here in the flesh, to hear some of those things being taught in any type of seminary that teaches that, I have a feeling he would have the same reaction as he did with the money changers. He would go in and flip over the 
the tenured professor of theology's desk and say, why are you teaching? Because that's not really authority, is it? When we say, you can have your authority, I can have my authority, and they're equally the same in value. No, they're not. So, let's, let's go... Let's 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 actually dig a little deeper onto the authority of Christ. Yes, we know it's because he is God in flesh. And yet how is it that we miss it? I mean they missed it back then. How is it that we miss it now? The authority of God himself and the person of Jesus Christ. Um If we're making a, a theological statement right now, I think we take ourselves right back to the Garden of Eden. Um, we see the first humans desire authority that is not their own. They wanted to be like God, mm. right? Sure. Um, they wanted to have knowledge which was not for them, which was forbidden to them. And so we see the introduction of sin. Um, I think in the same way, it is our sinful inclination to desire what is not rightfully ours for ourselves. And this comes back to the point I was making earlier about the idea of Jesus is my co-pilot, I am second, all of those things. There's a rebellious attitude that we take before God um, that says that we are something greater than we truly are. And I'm not diminishing in any way my sense of understanding about humanity, the beauty uh, that is intrinsically given to us as created beings. Sure. Um, please don't hear me defeating or beating up on humanity in that way. Um, but if we held in some, some sense the magnitude of what it means for God to be God and for us to be men and women, there is no, there is no comparative here. There's no equal footing here. Right. Um, we, we are made in His image. Um, we're, we're not just a, a, a notch below. Um, even the, the suggestion that God would empty himself by taking on the form or the likeness of a man, mm. the, the description of Jesus coming into time, that, that the idea of emptying himself... Um, the humility of God to do this. It just speaks about the chasm that exists, um, uh, hierarchically, if you will, if you're thinking about things in those terms, between the creator and the created. Um, and I think that that's, that's our issue, is that we think more of ourselves than we ever should. I think that's our issue. I would agree. So, I, pointing this now again to this matter of authority, what does it look like for a healthy church, regardless of the, regardless of the different denominational flavor, Baptist, Pentecostal, Reformed, you name it? Um, 
what does it look for a healthy Bible-believing church to express a life as a church under the full authority of Jesus Christ? What does that look like? I think it starts with um, it starts with a Isaiah mindset. Holy, holy, holy are you Lord of hosts. Um, and woe to me, for I am unclean. Mm. Um, and I just think about that, that approaching um, worship, that approaching even as you have a Bible open in front of us, that, that is the Holy Bible. That is God's Holy Word. Um, it is set apart. Um, it is absolutely distinct and quite unlike anything else. Um, understanding who... When I say something like understanding who God is, it's not with a, a sense that, that we can fully grasp the totality of who God is. But, right. Um, because there's an element of the, the mysterious to who God is. Yet in that, it's understanding... He's holy, and he invites us into his his holy family, so to say. Makes us a holy people. That's what Peter says. Yet he he is still the holy. Um, so a healthy church, to me, in terms of what I see and healthiness expressed in Scripture, would would understand God is God, and we are not. And it is it's. This is all in grace from Him. Mm. Um, if we walk in assuming or presumptuous or whatever, God help us. Indeed. Indeed. Thinking of a quote by um, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, his preaching on all from grace and he talks he shares a story of an artist who was painting uh, some scene of old London and wanted to make it historically accurate he says uh, he identifies that every time he sees this stretch of the street there was a um, street cleaner haggard clothes I mean just haggard looking dirty clothes torn to pieces and the artist says I want to put you into my painting, would you come to my studio so I can get your likeness and put it there for historical reference uh, to be accurate. And this particular public servant, which is not like today, I mean back in the day that was very much looked upon, looked lesser upon to be someone who cleaned the street after the respectable members of society. Um, but he went, got clean, clean shaven, clean clothes, everything was good. He, intending to follow something that was intuitive to him, because he's been addressed by someone with the intent of using him for a piece of art, he wanted to give his best and presume that that's what was wanted. The artist turns him away and says, no, I wanted you as you are. Well, that's what you are now presenting to me. Uh, reminds me of the idea that God does not want us all cleaned up before He cleans us. He wants us out of an act of His grace and mercy that He may be glorified in the transformation 
and in the work that changes us. Again, those theological words, the sanctification, the call, the um, redemptive process leading up to the glorification that we shall one day enjoy in heaven. So, authority, superiority, priority. So, final thoughts. If if we were to encourage our audience to lead to live a life that honors God under these three things, um, what would be the closing thought for today's episode? Say that again. If we are to invite our audience to lead a God honoring life under the authority, superiority, and priority of Christ. What would be your closing thought for our audience today? How would you encourage them to live in light of these three truths that are present? I, I would say it's coming to the place that you've quit fighting God. Um, and you've quit holding back from him. Mm. Um, Jesus, and if you read this passage that, that I preached from yesterday, Jesus preached as if he was the one that wrote it. And guess what? He did. He did. Um, Jesus acted as though he was the one who ruled over all. And guess what? He does. And Jesus did what he came to do. I think it's what I would invite every last person to do is to quit playing, is to quit holding on to, and to just surrender. Because what you will find is not someone who's going to spurn you, you're not going to find somebody who will reject you. You're not going to find somebody who's going to laugh at you or mock you or hold it over you. What you will find is a perfectly loving and a perfectly merciful Savior who will heal you of all these things that still hold you down. You've got to give them to Him. That's what I would begin to do. And this is Disciple Life, the Bible and everyday life. We'll see you next time. See you, everybody. Thank you for listening to Disciple Life, the Bible and everyday life with pastors Carlos Garduño and Dan Newberg. We encourage you to send any questions for the podcast to info at fbcdivine.org or by commenting on the audio platform of your choice. We look forward to engaging with your questions during future episodes.